Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Well, good morning. Uh, just to get a few things out of the way here, um, for those of you who are wondering and haven't had a chance to talk to me yet, yes, my father is home. Um, and he will probably go to his eternal home this week. Um, it will be soon. So, hence that song. Um, what I have found in my life that when I am in times of trouble, when I feel that um, things are tough, that I need worship and I need to praise God in my worship. So, um, please be praying for us this week, our family. Uh, as uh, we go through this, but it's good. He knows where he's going, and he's ready, and so continue to pray for him, and uh, also lift up all the others that are also experiencing this right now, and uh, may uh, may God bring comfort to all of us as we deal with um, this stage in life where we transition to a much better time and a very, very, very much better place. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, I would ask that you would open to the book of uh, Galatians. We're in chapter 4. Uh, we've been uh, walking through this as we, we just watch and see how Paul is dealing with a church that has forgotten its first love. I'm going to ask that you stand again. I know I just told you to sit down, but I might as well stand up again as we read the Word of God. Uh, Galatians 4, starting with verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it because it was because of the bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And, through, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your, my, your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Father, we do praise you for your word. May it open us up to the message that you have for us. May we take it and may we become imitators of you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Have a seat. I think that the verses we just read are probably one of the most important passages in Galatians. And yet, I'm afraid that it is probably one of the most overlooked. The key to understanding these verses is this idea of imitation. You know, in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, Paul, um, Paul instructs the church that, they, that 
in Corinth that, that they need to do everything to the glory of God. And, and we too, we need to do everything to God's glory. And then he caps that off by suggesting that they imitate him. Look what it says. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything we do is to be done to God's glory. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So don't offend anybody. Just as I tried to please everyone in everything I do, now I want you to know that doesn't mean he's a, he was a people pleaser and he did the wrong thing so he could please people. He did the right thing to please people. Please people. Just as I tried to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, this is Paul's answer to the issue that's going on in Galatians. The issue is the fact that they are turning from the gospel of Jesus Christ, where it's salvation by faith in Christ alone, and they're turning to a works-based salvation. That's his answer. By doing this, the church is not moving forward, but they're turning back. But he says, the only way you're not going to turn back and move forward is if you imitate me as I imitate Christ. Be like me. That's what he's telling them. Because I was like you. I think that that today is, is our way forward in the world that we live in. We need to be imitators of Christ. We need to be imitators of Paul as he imitated Christ. No matter what the circumstances are in our lives, we need to imitate our Lord and Savior. Now this this idea of imitation as a solution opens up this section of Paul's letter to a whole new idea, a kind of a, a new concept, a new direction. You know, the whole book is not just about whether it's faith or whether it's works. I mean, that's been a huge argument throughout the book so far. Is it faith? Is it works? You know, the Judaizers are saying it's works, and, and Paul's saying it's faith. But what it is about, it's about putting our faith in action. It's about living our lives in Christ in a way that the world sees it. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't passionate and that we don't stand up for things. It just doesn't mean that we're patsies and we get run all over. That's not what it means. But what it means is when I have a conflict with somebody in this world, I do it in a way that is Christ-like. I don't lash out at them and and bombard them and, and pummel them. I love them. And I speak reasonably to them. As I I keep saying, I keep telling people recently especially, you know, we need to be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. This this world, I'll I'll just give you an example. My father was in the emergency room. Went in about 11 o'clock at night. 2 o'clock the next afternoon, he's still in the emergency room. And hadn't gotten the care he needed. You know, we could go in there and I could bust some heads. Really could, and I wanted to. And I have the medical power of attorney that gives me the ability to do that. But that's not what we do. Because they're under stress too. And they're people too. And they're hurting too. So we need to be kind and gentle and understanding and patient. Not easy today. It's not easy today. But we need to do it. Our faith needs to be put into action. 
the answer for the Galatians and for us today is that we cannot just agree with the gospel. We can't just say that we're believers in Christ. We have to say that we live like Christ. That we not just we live, we don't just believe the gospel, we live the gospel. The gospel must be visible in each of us. If you, if you proclaim that you are a believer in Christ, if you say that you believe Jesus Christ, that you're one of his children, you must live the gospel. Not for salvation, but because that's what we're to do. Paul tells them that he, you know, that I, I was with you because of an ailment. He was a marked man. He says, you know, you know, it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. So when Paul is in Galatia, we really don't know all the details as far as what it was. What was the ailment? Some people say it was that thorn in the flesh. But I believe, as many, many theologians believe, is that this was a time after Paul had been severely persecuted. And he had been, he had been actually stoned and left for dead outside one of the cities. Now, for us, we're like, oh, that poor man, and if we had seen him, we would have, oh, we need to get him to the hospital, we need to take care of him. But at that time, you've got to realize that this is a very pagan culture. And this culture would have looked at somebody who had been beaten as deserving it because they had done something against the gods. And he, had been, he would have been a pariah. They would not have wanted to go to him and help him or accept him into their home. He would have been, he would have been, he would have been scorned. He would have been spit at, actually. What you do is, at that time, if you have somebody who is, you feel is cursed, and if somebody had a disease or had an ailment or a disformity or whatever, they would, they would spit towards them, almost like you know, you're protecting yourself with your spit. So kids, we know when your mom, mom does that on your face, it's good. You know, she's protecting you from the evil things out there. But that's what that was cultural. But they didn't do that. They looked past that and they took him in. And it was a trial for them because... Everybody else in the community, the ones that have took him in, the others in the community would have looked down. What are you doing taking that guy in? Why are you doing that? Don't you know he's cursed? Right? But they didn't reject Paul, even though they could have. They didn't spit at him. But they accepted him. They nursed him back to health. Because Paul had been persecuted for the faith. And because they had done that, because they had brought him in, he was able to preach the gospel to them. Now, understand that this gospel that, that Paul is preaching to them is, is a very personal gospel. It was a risky decision on the part of the Galatians to do this, because this would hurt them personally. They would be shunned by the community. But their conversion to Christianity will also create even more dangers and more challenges and the social fallout and possible persecution that they were going to suffer in the future as believers in Jesus Christ could be, could be pretty severe. And believing in Christ would touch each of their lives personally. But the gospel is always personal. 
Now, we like to think that, you know, if, if, we would just, if we would just, you know, broadcast the gospel, you know, if we had a plane in the air that, that flew around all the time and had the gospel message printed on it, and everybody's just standing there trying to read it, okay, even if we just did John 3.16, you know, we think, oh, people will get saved. But that's not how it works. From the start, it's always been a personal gospel where you go to this person and you talk to them and you get to know them and you share the gospel with them. They become a believer and then they go to their friend and shares the gospel. It's always been about multiplication, not addition. Because when they're doing that, then I go to somebody else again and I share the gospel with them. And now I've got two people out there sharing the gospel who are sharing the gospel with two other people. Then I go to somebody else, and now I've got three people I'm sharing the gospel with. It's always been personal. Now, granted, I, I was saved in the church. Well, let me put it this way. The church was where I sealed the deal. And I, that's kind of a cheap way of saying that. But it was my mother investing in me at home with Bible verses and devotions and prayer. That's what got me to the point where I was ready for salvation. And it was my Sunday school teachers in Sunday school teaching me the Bible that got me to the point where I was ready to accept Christ and believe in Him and trust Him for my salvation. It's personal. It's one-on-one. It gets spread person to person. It's, it's, and the gospel itself speaks of an intimate, intimate part of our lives. It goes to every intimate corner of your life. You cannot compartmentalize the gospel and keep it out of part of your life. If you do, then you're, that's not living the gospel. gospel speaks about heaven and hell and peace and justice, good and evil, estrangement, reconciliation, sin and righteousness. And, and while the gospel is huge in all of these terms, it's very personal. And it's demand for our response to that message. But I want you to understand, you must not, you must not confuse personal gospel with private gospel. The gospel is not private. Your faith is not private. The world wants us to say that. The world wants us to believe that our God, our message, our our faith is your faith. You do you, I'll do me. That's what they try to tell you. It's your personal choice, and you keep that to yourself. Sorry, that's not the way it works. It's not a private faith. It is a personal faith that's lived out in a community. Hence why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Why? Because then the world will see. They'll know you are Christians by your love. It's expansive. It's, it's, it's huge, but it's also personal. Our faith is also not self-indulging. All the prosperity preachers and the word of faith preachers and the name and claim it pastors and the current religious landscape of our country, of the United States, has made the gospel a means to personal financial fulfillment. You don't believe me? You should have sat in my Sunday school class or in our small group for the last couple weeks because we've been studying that. Jesus had a few things to say about teachers who were 
in it for the money. In Matthew 23, 23, this is what he says to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, which means they had money because those were herbs that only the rich could have, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And you might think, well, yeah, the, the weightier matters are keeping the Ten Commandments, which is important, but the weightier matters of the law are justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. See, Jesus is making it clear that the main concern of religion is not the self-indulgement for financial you know, prosperity or even personal piety. You know, we, we, don't, we don't do what we do as believers because of a piety that we see on ourselves. It's our faith. Because our faith leads to, will lead to strength, but it's usually strength that we bear in our times of pain and sorrow. You know, our faith does give us strength. Always gives us strength. But it's strength to persevere in our times of hurt and tribulation and loss. Our faith could bring meaning to our lives. It does. I, I can't imagine going through what a lot of us are going through without having Christ at our side. Can you imagine that? What it would be like to struggle in life and not have faith in Jesus Christ? Not have hope in the life to come? But many times the meaning comes from listening to somebody and helping them in their time of trial, their time of trouble. That's, that's when we find meaning in our lives. Our holiness, our walk in Christ is, is personal, but not private. The gospel also breaks limits. As I said earlier, the Galatians were accepting Paul. You know, the limit would have been you don't accept somebody into your home that's beat up like Paul because he's cursed by the gods. You don't risk. But see, the gospel breaks that limit. Paul's affliction caused... Paul to alter his plans. He wasn't planning on coming to Galatia, but he, he had to because he was so wounded. If it's what we think it was. And while that may seem that Paul was limited, wow, I mean, here he is. He's, 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 he's got an ailment. He's not able to take care of himself. And what does he do? That limb is broken, and he preaches the gospel. He shares the gospel in his ailment. He shared, shared the gospel with these people. So you have the, the social limit being broken. And the Galatians don't shun him, and they bring him in, a stranger, and they nurse him back to health. And Paul's affliction, which, I mean, you know, just, just lay down there, Paul. Don't say anything. Just relax. You know, this is what we tell him. What does he do? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I will once I tell you this, that you need to know Christ. And let me tell you about it. The gospel breaks those limits. So much so that the, the Galatian churches, they treated him as an angel. Now what does that mean? Well, what happens normally in scripture when you see an angel, they, the people would, would fall to the ground in awe of his presence. They treated, they held him so highly, not even possibly as an angel, but as Jesus Christ himself. The message of the gospel is not concerned 
with our limits. You and I, whether they are self-imposed or community-imposed or world, according to the world they impose limits on us, the gospel doesn't know that limit. The gospel doesn't care about that limit. Well, I, I, just, I just don't know enough about the Bible. You don't have to. All you got to do is share the gospel. You got to share the story of Christ. We're sinners. We need a Savior. We can't do it by ourselves. It's impossible. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ. He came. He lived a sinless life for us. He died on a cross, took our sins. He rose again on the third day, and He's coming back again. There's the gospel. And you need to accept Him for your salvation. You need to accept that He took your place and believe in Him and trust Him for your life and bring Him into your life to partner with you in your life and it will change you and here's what you do. That's all it is. Anybody can do it. But what do we do? We put that limit on ourselves. And we say, I can't do it. I'm too afraid to talk to people. Oh, you don't need to talk to a bunch of people. There's one person in your life that you need to talk to Christ about at least. And you need to do it. Don't let the limit, because the gospel breaks those limits. Paul, he was talking to, to Timothy, which was he considered his, his spiritual son. In 1 Timothy 4, 12, he says, Let no one despise you for your youth. He was young. Oh, that young Timothy, yeah, he's, you know. Can't believe anything he says. Like He's like all the other youth, but he wasn't. His mother and his grandmother had invested heavily in him with the gospel. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers, set for the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You want to have an effect on the world, an effect on people's life? Then do the same thing. Set an example as a believer in Christ, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We have limitations. But what we do with those limitations is not only a measure of how big our faith is, but it determines our effectiveness in our ministry and in our witness. The gospel is also tough, but it's also tender. Look at verse 15 of our verses today in Galatians. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Wow. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? You see, Paul loved the Galatians. And they loved him. They, he, Paul sees them as his spiritual children. See, see, too many relationships today, I think too, way too many of our relationships today are superficial. I, I think social media has kind of been part of the catalyst. I don't think, to be honest with you, I don't think social media is the cause of it, but I think social media proliferates that issue of we don't have close relationships with people anymore. We may with family, but we don't let people into our lives. You see, the churches in Galatia, the people of Galatia, they loved Paul, this stranger who was wounded. They loved him so much that they, were, they would be willing to gouge out their eyes and give it to him. That's a close relationship. 
It's not superficial. They weren't just Facebook friends, you know? So what Paul does is, Paul's going to take a risk here. He runs the risk of harming that relationship because he's going to get a little tough on them. But he needs to give them the difficult truth. He's risking turning his friends into his enemies because they need to hear the hard truth. There are some hard truths in our lives. I'm, I'm, you know, with my father, we're dealing with some hard truths. The hardest truth was when we, on the night that we, he went into hospice at home. I mean, I had to ask the question, how long? And that was a hard answer. It was a hard answer for my, it wasn't so hard for me because I I knew. Because I've been through this before with people. But it was hard for my mother to hear how long. But we need to be truthful. We need to tell our friends and our families the hard truths. Especially the eternal life-saving truths. Because see, what's happening is the Galatian church was about to to exchange this blessedness, this, this great relationship they had with Paul, this great relationship they had with Christ, for something that wasn't. The complete, it's the complete opposite. And this idea of blessedness is this idea of total well-being. It'd be like, you know, you spend, you spend a year at the gym, you're only eating the right foods, you know, you're healthy. The doctor says, man, you look like you're 25 again and you're 40. I wish. It's a dream, okay? It's my sermon illustration. I can, you know, dream what I want. And then the next day you go out and buy a dozen donuts because you're celebrating, eat hamburgers, hot dogs, french fries, you know, smoke a few cigarettes. I mean, just stupid stuff that you never should do. That's what this church was doing. They were throwing away a blessedness, a total well-being in their relationship with Paul and Christ. And they were trading it for transient satisfaction. That's only based upon words. It's worthless. See, in the process of this, and we even do this today, the church always finds itself in the danger of two pitfalls. The first one is kind of this Pollyanna tolerance. It's where we, we, know, we, we don't make demands on those who call themselves Christians. That's why I'm trying to avoid, when I talk to you about, you know, are you a Christian, I try not to use that term Christian anymore because it's lost its meaning. Because there are people out there in the world today who call themselves Christians who are nowhere close to being Christians. Are you a follower of Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus? That's, that's what it means. If you're a follower, you're doing what he does. You're imitating him. But the first pitfall, like I said, is this Pollyanna. You know, well, you know, you, you can do what you want. You know, it's okay. You know, we're not going to judge you. We're not going to tell you the hard truths. We're not going to preach about sin. We're not going to preach that you're all sinners and you need a Savior. No, we're not going to do that. No. We want you to feel good. It's all about love and peace and joy and happiness. You know, God is love, right? This kind of religion says, you do you and I will do me. You believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe, and you know, God's good with both of them. Both beliefs are good, respect each other's rights, don't try to convince me that I'm wrong, and I won't try to convince you that you're wrong. This is called progressive Christianity. 
at its worst. And it's out there. It's, it's infiltrating the evangelical church. And the churches that go down this road are not preaching the gospel. They're preaching another gospel. And I'll be honest with you, if you're not preaching the gospel, you're not a Christian church. The second pitfall that sometimes the church falls into is, is in the other direction. It's this rigid intolerance of anything. Saying, we only have the true gospel. I'll not tell you, this is not the only church that has the true gospel. There's a lot of them out there. And they lay a bunch of laws and rules upon the congregation, saying this is what you got to do. You can only use the King James Version, because that's the one that Jesus carried, right? There's nothing wrong with the King James Version. You must understand all the versions have issues with them. Even the version I use, there are some issues. But it's the best we got. And if you like Shakespeare and you can read the King James, then more power to you. But it's not the only version. But both of these positions threaten the spread of the gospel. See, what we need is true, orthodox Christianity that holds to the central tenets of the faith. God loves for us, and the fact that he, His love for us is demonstrated in the fact that he, he sent Jesus Christ to die, to live and die and be resurrected for us. And the salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. We can't add to it. That's it. We can discuss the minor differences. You know, we can discuss the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism and not separate on it. We can discuss the difference between, you know, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, amillennialism, post-millennial. It doesn't matter. Those are not salvation issues. We can talk about them, disagree about them, and still love each other and still worship together. But if you don't hold to these basic tenets, I can't worship with you. Unless you're a non-believer and you're seeking Christ and you want to become a believer. I shouldn't say I can't worship with you. Because I can. It's just you can't, you're not officially part of the church. You're not a member of the church. You're not, you haven't been baptized. If you have, then somebody baptized you for the wrong reason. And if you hold to those, those beliefs. If you don't believe in the core tenets of the faith, See, Paul was, Paul was a man of solid convictions. And his spiritual children at times, they, they may have regarded him as their enemy. Man, that Paul, I mean, Peter says it, man. You know, Paul says some, some pretty hard things. They're hard to understand. Well, I don't like them. I don't like what Paul says. I don't like Paul at all. So I'm not going to follow Paul. I'm not going to do anything he says. Well, that's not, that's not good. Because Paul was following Christ. Sometimes we need tough love, though. We need someone to come to us and say, you know what? What you did is wrong. You need to shape up. You need to get over it. You need to be so, stop being so self-centered. You need to do what's right. And we have, we know that while Paul is tough, has showing tough love on the church of Galatians, 
it worked because we have this letter. If it, if it didn't work, then we wouldn't have this letter. Paul's tough love and integrity proved stronger than any controversy he had in the church. Now what's happening in the church is these Galatians, the Galatians are being duped by these Judaizers who are, are basically teasing them. Verse 17 says, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. You see, here, here, here's the thing in the church today. Here's what's happening in the church. If you, if you don't know this, you need to know what's going on. Not in this church, but in churches. In churches, many churches, the churches are beginning to try to, how do we get more people into the church? How do we, how do we fill every single seat? Well, I, I think we need to entertain them a little bit. If you've been in my Sunday school class or you've been in my, my, our small group, you've watched a video of a church down in Florida called Church by the Glades. Uh, pastor comes out and he jumps on this huge couch that's a trampoline. They spent multi-million dollars in doing these productions to try to draw people into the church. And then when they preach the gospel, they don't preach the gospel. They preach a very watered-down version because you don't want to offend anybody. They try to tease them to come in because it's about the numbers. It's this bait-and-switch tactic that, that's happening with the Galatians. Paul sees it. On the one hand, they're flattering them. Oh, aren't you wonderful? You're great people. But you, you need to do this. You, you, need to, you need to be circumcised. Because if we get you to do this, you know, now you're going to look to us as your leaders. Flirting with the Galatian church and yet keeping their distance from them. It's like this courtship. Nobody likes to be flirted with and then turned down and pushed away. We all been there as teenagers, you know, us guys, you know, girls flirt with us, they want nothing to do with us. They just they just want to mess with us. And guys do it too, by the way. It's the complete opposite of their encounter with Paul. Paul's encounter with him was he is in need. They helped him. He shared the gospel with them and gave them something more worth more than anything that, that he could have ever paid them for the care they gave him. And we all can understand the frustration that Paul is having and all the frustration that happens when we encounter someone who's teasing us, who sends mixed messages. And the goal of the agitators is to manipulate and get the Galatians in their back pocket. But see, what Paul wants them to do is he wants them to stay in the gospel and to become more mature. He says to them in verse 19, he says, My little children, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It's an important term. We're going to talk about that in a second. I wish I could be present with you now and change the tone, for I am perplexed about you. See, real, mature Christianity only comes when Christ has been formed in us. 
And Paul uses this very tender language by calling the Galatians his children. And, and then he sharply and, and with clarity, he states that this passion is not only because the Galatians, for the Galatians, but it's also for all mankind. That Christ would be formed in us. He wants us all to be mature believers in Christ. And it's the same longing that Paul had for all the churches he formed. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, for the Ephesian churches, he says in verse 4 of 13 of, of Ephesians, he says, Until we have all attained to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In Colossians, his aim was, in Colossians 1.28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all this energy that he powerfully works within me. This is nothing to take lightly. And this is, this is not something you can just do by being in here in this room on Sunday morning. That is not how you become mature in Christ. You become mature in Christ by being involved in a small group. You become mature in Christ by reading your Bible, by praying, by having spiritual conversations, even if it's with your spouse, just your spouse, having spiritual conversations. And with your children, and with your friends, and your co-workers, and praying constantly for everyone, and doing good works that God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Seeing those things we need to do for each other and doing them. Yes, that's part of maturing in our walk with Christ. Paul was adamant and he dedicated this goal with all of his heart. To be in Christ or Christ in us was Paul's definition of what a Christian was. Like I said, today people call themselves Christians and they are not. They are far from it. But if Paul was to look at some of the people today who call themselves Christians, he'd say they're not Christians. They're not maturing into being like Christ. They're not doing the things that show that you're, you'll know they're Christians by their love, by their fruit. They'll know you're Christians by your fruit. And what is our fruit? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's all these things we need to be doing and all the things we do for each other, how we love each other, how we are imitating Christ. He used this idea over and over again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Uh, let's see, this is Colossians 1.27 To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. The most vivid description of Paul's experience can be found in Galatians 2.20. We read that many weeks ago. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do you get about your day? How do you survive your day? Is it because you're so strong you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you keep going? No, it's because of your faith in Jesus Christ. How am I going to get through the next week? By faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not me who does it. I am poor. I am weak. I am nothing. I'm worthless. But because I have Christ in me, I'm valuable. And I can get through life because of Christ, not because of me. 
This is what a Christian is. This is the new creation in Christ Jesus. The new creation must be lived out in our lives. People must see it. Now, there may be people in my life I can't stand. Nobody in this room. None of you is that is in that class, by the way. Okay? But there are people in my life that just bug me to no end. And you know what? I still have to love them and I still have to show them Christ. Doesn't matter. And the new creation must be lived out in our lives. The only way this is going to occur is through justification by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not me saying, I'm going to do this today. It's Jesus Christ working in me. Me surrendering me and giving it to him, letting him be in me. It's not easy. And i got to do it every day. Wake up in the morning and surrender because I want to, be, I want to take control every single day. And i got to let him do it. We must understand that justification and regeneration by the work of Christ go hand in hand. Christ justifies me to God by me believing in Him for my salvation. And then He regenerates me through the Holy Spirit to become more like Him. And guess when I'll be done with that? When I'm standing before Him, (laughs) waiting to enter the kingdom. Until then, it's a work in process. Constantly. But see, when we're justified, we we get a new status. We're not not sons and heirs with Christ. We're we're not just sons and heirs with Christ. We've now just been reconciled to God also. God accepts us, not because of what we have done or any achievement that I've accomplished. He accepts us solely because of his love through through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. We all know the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. A righteousness which is in reality is Christ's righteousness does not come by the law, but it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul said in Philippians, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. That rubbish is not just garbage. It's excrement, by the way. Severe. In order that I may gain Christ. It means everything is put aside so I can gain Christ. And be found in him. There we go again. Being found in Christ or having Christ in me. Not having any righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on what? On faith. We've been made right with God because of the justifying death of Christ. But how does that work? How does does Jesus' death do this? In in the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 9.22, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sins. So, Jesus dying on the cross, shedding his his life... Blood for our sins saves us. That's the way it is. That's how it happens. That's what does it. So we, we must take care of our relationship with God. Because sin tries to sever that relationship. It tries to distort the image of God in us. 
perverting his divine intention. Satan wants to detract us, wants to move us off course. He doesn't want Christ formed in you. But that regeneration that happens through the Holy Spirit restores the image and recovers our identity. It's like taking an old, dilapidated home and and rebuilding it. I love watching those shows. I don't watch them much anymore, but I love watching them. Sitting there thinking that I wish I could do that. Or being foolish enough saying, yeah, I could do that, knowing that I can't do that. Regeneration restores us, recovers our identity as children of the Father. Christ formed in us is the reformation of our lives into that great design that God created for us. Design of the fullness of Christ in us. You know, it's, it's easy for us to, to let ourselves take center stage. Even in our service to others, you do things and we, we expect, you know, oh, they're going oh, to praise me now. I'm going to get some praises for that. That's not why we do it. That's not why we should do it. We must strive to keep Christ at the center of our lives. For only when we're willing to endure suffering ourselves for the sake of others so that Christ can take shape in their lives, are we truly imitating Paul as he imitated Christ? This is the essence of what it means to imitate Paul, to walk in the way of discipleship, to take up our cross and follow Christ, to serve one another in love, and to be led by the Spirit. And this passage invites you and me to do so, as it did the Galatians, to be imitators of this crucified Christ, of Paul, who was a crucified apostle, as he imitates his crucified Christ. You see, imitation is the solution. It's the only way we can move forward. Then, it's the only way we can move forward today. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are regenerating us, that you you reconciled us, And you're regenerating us to be in Christ. Help us, Father, every day to wake up and surrender our lives to you. Lord, we we cannot do this on our own. We cannot survive daily with the trials and the craziness of the world we live in. So I pray, Father, that you would just help us to, to wake up every day. Surrender our lives to you. Be led by faith in Christ Jesus. Give us your strength. Give us your peace. Help us to share the gospel, Lord. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.